everybody, and welcome to Comics and Cinema. I'm your host, Alex Klein, and I'd also like to welcome you to the discussion of my favorite Falcon and Winter Soldier episode so far. That's right. Ep- oh, no, it just hit me, guys. Oh, my. Okay, okay. We're going to... Uh, damn, I'm going to have to save this for the end. Uh, okay, so this episode, uh, we're going to be talking full spoilers. I literally just had a realization as I was doing this. Um so this episode power okay we're just going to talk about it right now full episode spoilers for episode three the power broker and uh so seriously if you have not seen this episode yet pause this come back because i do not want to lose this thought and i'm going to start right now i think sharon carter is the power broker and as i um you know i took a bunch of notes and i you know i'm trying to watch the show and it was it was very curious to me that the episode is titled the power broker uh because we never see the power broker in the episode and and i'm like i have i have some little notes that i wrote here and i i have a note here that i just said is sharon the power broker why did zemo shoot nagel right as he came in or right as sharon came in and why is she getting in the back of a car when when she's leaving there's clearly something going on there, but when as I was writing that, I'm thinking I don't I don't think Sharon Carter is the power broker because she uh, that doesn't make sense to me. If if she's the one trying to make the super soldier serum and she's the one uh, texting Carly saying that she's gonna kill her or that I'm gonna kill you sort of thing, uh, it, find it really hard to believe. But at the same time, the reason it just hit me right now is because. You know, that is the main question that I had when the show was over, but the episode is titled The Power Broker. So that means we see the power broker in this episode. Somebody in this episode is the power broker. And there's a great chance that it is Sharon. That would be super cool. I just don't see it, though. Uh, and not because of her. Like, she could totally do it if she wanted to, just based on everything that she was saying. And maybe that's going to be the ultimate twist. And if so, that's crazy because there was a bit where uh and, and we're going to be diving into this entire episode but there's the bit where she's in the her uh, you know her crazy fancy apartment with the boys and getting them all suited up and she's being really rude and and uh you know bucky says oh wow she's gotten awful so is you know i was like ooh, she could probably be a bad guy like that would make sense but then i was like you know she's been gone for so long why would she become a bad guy, especially after everything, you know, all that she believed with Steve? So, you know what? Those are the open, that's the opening salvo of this. That's why I love this episode. There's so much to dive into. So, with those thoughts in mind, let's take a walk. Uh, so, this episode opens up with a commercial, kind of like the WandaVision commercials, except a much more corny uh, commercial from the GRC talking about, oh, you know, when everyone came back, we're trying to make everything normal again, and then ends with them saying reset, restore, rebuild. And I think it's funny because, uh, you know, we didn't think about it, or at least I didn't, in the very first episode, but the GRC is slowly becoming a bigger and bigger player in the show. And so I have a really strong feeling that the GRC is going to end up being one of the big bad guys for the show. And and no more perfect than in this first scene where this this really nice, bright, clean, pure commercial ends and the next shot is a GRC van pulling up with a bunch of soldiers in it including Captain America and Battlestar. So 
Uh, I loved that. I, I thought the juxtaposition between those two things was perfect, and honestly, a perfect indicator of that, that, you know, they aren't what they're saying that they are. And uh, just like a lot of other government entities, like it's they're they're it's very timely for for our current day. But we see, and they're in Germany. We see we see Captain America, and I'm I am referring to him as Captain America now because he, for all intents and purposes, is Captain America right now until uh, until you know we we finally get get the shield put back into the right hands. But uh, he says, don't give them a second to delete shred or breathe and i was like oh okay uh this is not our captain america like this is not what captain america would say and uh we see it even further when they break inside and they're interviewing the guy interviewing sorry about that they're interrogating the guy and he says uh you you americans have become brutes and um you know, it's funny too, uh, John Walker can't even talk to this guy. He does not speak German, but Lamar does, which is great. I liked that in exchange. But then uh, Cap swears at the guy multiple times. And I was just thinking like, this is not my Cap. And the guy spits on Cap, which I don't know if the original Cap has ever been spit on. I highly doubt it. But this just is, again, further showing. But he throws him up against a pillar wall and says, do you know who I am? And he says, yes, I do, but I don't care. And uh, I just loved that, that, you know, John Walker is everything that Captain America shouldn't be. No doubt, like we talked about in the prior episodes, He's a great soldier, and he's he sounds like he's a great fighter, a great strategist. He he kind of knows the ins and outs, it seems. But that it, just that is not enough to become Captain America, and we're seeing it more and more in each episode. And honestly, uh, it almost seemed like Lamar uh, saw that or is seeing that too. As as they're walking out, he's talking about you know we got to find Carly, and he says she's giving displaced people shelter and medicine. That creates loyalty. And we just keep drawing blanks. He says Langley keeps drawing blanks. And Walker says, so we bet on somebody who has a better hand. Uh, Obviously implying the people we see in the very next scene, which is Sam and Bucky, who are now at the jail in Berlin. Zemo is enjoying himself uh, this scene. And this is all basically like the opening of this episode is so great. Uh, He's Bucky tells Sam like, hey, I'm going to go interview. I'm going to go talk to him. And Sam's like, all right, sounds good. Let's go. And he's like, no, no, no. It's just going to be me. Uh, You know, he's not going to want to talk to you because you were an Avenger. And he's like, fine, fine. But so he gets he he walks in and all we see is Zemo's legs and hands folded. Everything else is in shadow. Just a perfect shot composition. And he starts saying the words to activate the Winter Soldier. And Bucky's like, that doesn't work anymore. And he says, oh, I know. Uh, I wanted to see how the new you reacts to the old words. And uh, something, he says, something is still in there. But he goes, at least you weren't conscious. For what it's worth, I'm sorry. It was never personal. Simply a means to a necessary end. And uh, immediately, I'm like, I'm hooked on Zemo. I was like, I love Zemo. I loved him in Civil War. I just, I think Marvel, you know, I, I say it every week in terms of applauding them, but they've done such a good job of taking these characters that we got to see only briefly and expanding on them in such a way. Like, we're finally getting to see Zemo in full power mode, I'd say. Uh, Same with Bucky and Sam, obviously, and then Sharon, too, in this episode. But uh, Bucky explains to him they're trying to get the super soldier serum, 
and immediately is interested. I loved that. And he says, wow, basically he's like doing the math in his head and he's like, wow, you guys must be really desperate. Lucky for you, I know where to begin. And uh, the that <laughs> he uh, the next scene is Bucky and Sam going into a, what looks to be like a garage. And Sam is talking with him and Bucky's like, hey, can I, can I, he goes, let me walk you through a hypothetical. Can I, can I do a hypothetical with you? And he's like, basically doing some flashbacks too of when he's talking with Zemo. He's like, what's in that, you know, what book are you reading? I love that, that Bucky like knew. He's like, what, what is that book? He's like, oh, it's Machiavelli and like opens a page. And I think what he had in there was a, uh, a scan card to get out of, he like, he could have left whenever he wanted sort of thing, which was great. And, uh, he he's telling Sam like you know oh if uh, if people started fighting in the jail like you know the guards would have to go stop them and and uh, Sam's like why would two people just randomly start fighting and Bucky says who knows could be many reasons uh, with all those bodies though it wouldn't be hard to slip down a hallway or two. Uh, and, and we're seeing, you know, that as that's going, we're seeing Zemo dressed up as a cop. Now he beats up a cop, takes his costume. Uh, and then he says, if the fire alarm was tripped, someone could use the chaos to their advantage. And, uh, Zemo certainly does. And, uh, Sam's like, I don't like how casual you're being about this. It's unnatural. And where are we? Like, he finally realizes like, oh, we're in this weird place. And, uh, and you know, Zemo walks in and he's like, whoa, 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 no, 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 no. And Zemo says, if I may. And they both go, no. <laughs> and uh, uh, he, explain, he explains to him, to Sam, and I loved this explanation. He's like, you backed Steve when he refused to sign the Sokovia Accords. Uh, and that was because of me. He says, I'm asking you to do it again. And then uh, Zemo says, and I, I'm invaluable. And they say, shut up. <laughs> I love, I just love that. But so they get to Zemo's garage. Zemo has an awesome Grand Theft Auto garage with all these cool old cars and uh, a golden gun in the back of his, uh, his trunk with a bunch of throwing knives. His freaking mask is in one of the cars. I just, and he says, I, you know, I have no intention of keeping my work unfinished uh, because he, you know, he killed all those super. So just, he says, there's so many quotable and you're not even that quotable, but just of like so many amazing lines. So shout out to the writers for this episode. They killed it. He says, uh, he says that we need to uh, climb the ladder of, uh, where's this? He says, oh yeah, um, we, we ha he says we have to scale a ladder of lowlifes. And the first stop is Selby, mid-level fence. From there, we climb. And I love, like, he's so badass. And he, uh, like, he, and he knows it. He knows he's good. And then we show, he shows up, he has a plane. He's basically a evil Bruce Wayne. And I love that. And he says, I'm a baron, Sam. My family was royalty until your friends destroyed my country. I, oh my God. Like, everything about it was just perfect. And so they're in the plane. His old butler is like, I'm so happy to have you back. And he says, I'm going to go get you some food. And he, he says in Sokovian, if it doesn't pass the smell test, give it to them. And then he has Bucky's journal. Like, he takes Bucky's journal somehow. He got it. Who is Nakajima? And then he grabs it and, and takes it back. He's like, you ever do that again, I'm going to kill you. And much, you know, I don't, I don't think I mentioned it at all, but I did see some stuff online of people comparing his book to Steve's book. Well, it turns out that is Steve's book. And Sam calls it out. He says, that's Steve's book. He goes, he wrote down Trouble, Trouble Man is in there. Did you listen? What'd you think of it? And he says, I liked, I like 40s music. He's like, you didn't like it? 
And then, again, with the lines, Zemo says, It is a masterpiece. Complete. Comprehensive. Captures the African-American experience. And Sam says he's out of line, but he's right. I just, the, Oh, my God. The lines, guys. The lines. And so he goes into this conversation about how it's so dangerous to turn people into idols and talking about the uh you know captain america being an idol and he says you know once we've done that once you make somebody into that symbol people start forgetting about their flaws and he says do we want to live in a world with people like the red skull and he says that's why we have to go to madripoor holy cow guys i know people were talking about that in the trailers when they show that scene of the city as ooh that would be really cool if it's madripoor we we got it we got it I, and i i cannot stress to you enough how important that is because madripoor obviously that is a it's a it's a giant hive of scum and villainy for everything in the marvel universe but that is a specific place for the x-men not specifically the team the x-men but like the x-men comics deal with madripoor so much wolverine had a whole uh you know alternate identity there patch when he was in madripoor he would wear like a patch on his eye and all this sort of stuff but other people there too i mean there's when wolverine died in the comics uh, a couple years ago and i you know obviously to sell comics but he came back uh, but there was like a whole hunt for wolverine where they went to madripoor to try and look for him i know uh, i'm trying to think of some of the famous people there there's uh, mystique ran madripoor for a while i think uh madam hydra obviously uh psylocke i think was there for a bit i mean it's like any any evil character and most of them were x-men villains went to madripoor or dealt in madripoor so just huge that we're getting that obviously you know disney owns fox so they can do whatever they want now but i i am trying to be as grateful as possible for when we do see those moments because you know, let's be honest, Marvel is going to kill it no matter what when they make an X-Men movie, but I, I just want to appreciate any moment that we get any sort of X-Men reference, or Fantastic Four for that matter, and there, there weren't any of those, but uh, just any time we get one of those because it hasn't happened before. We, you know, Marvel, and for any of you who, who weren't aware of this, or, you know, maybe for people like me too who've forgotten this, like, that has been the biggest sticking point for Marvel. It's like, oh, we had to rewrite the entire backstory for Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver because we can't say mutant on the movie uh, because uh, it's owned by Fox. And now that it's all back, like, I want to appreciate every moment that we get with the, with anything X-Men and Fantastic Four related. It's just, it's awesome. And uh, even better is Sam says that it's like, is it like Skull Island? Which is crazy because I just watched Godzilla. Spoiler alert, I loved Godzilla. Uh, and if you're wondering why the review hasn't come yet, it's because I want to watch it again uh, before I give a final review. I haven't even rated it yet, but it's insane. So badass. So, Sam or Bucky is kind of explaining to Sam like it, it used to be a pirate type island back in the 1800s. So I wonder if at some point we're going to get some history around Madripoor. And uh, Zemo starts explaining that they're going to go there and they're basically going to be bad guys there. So uh, he says, You will have to become someone you claim is gone. And talking to Bucky about becoming the Winter Soldier. And so, you know, that's that. And then the next scene is uh, we're back at a GRC resettlement camp and uh, Carly is playing with some kids outside but and and I wasn't super clear on this 
Uh, and I, I don't think it's the biggest deal. Maybe it will be in the next episode since they are trying to hunt this person. But I'm, I think that it's Carly's mom who's dying and dies. She goes up there. They say, you know, she's about to go sort of thing. And so, you know, she kind of says her goodbye. She says she's so sorry. Uh, really sad, honestly, especially once we find out that, you know, some of the other stuff we see, you know, in further on in the episode. But uh, that's essentially that scene, and kind of, again, we're, we're starting to get some scenes in this episode to set up the Flag Smashers as being good guys, and, uh, it's really interesting the way that they set it up, because, uh, you know, by the end of the episode, I think it's pretty clear where they stand, but during the episode, they're really working hard to show you the human side of Carly, uh, the human side of Dovich, and uh, and I liked that a lot because I'm I'm think you know the whole time we've been talking about like I said I think the GRC and Captain America they are the bad guys in my opinion and maybe the power broker but again if that theory is, is you know real then you know maybe the power broker is a, a good person too but uh the, but so the way that it works they go back and and Madripoor's there and honestly Madripoor is awesome Madripoor looks gorgeous haunting disgusting everything that you would want madripoor to be i feel like they captured it so quickly in just a few scenes uh and, and what i wanted to point out was it did remind me of the busan scenes in um and i i and i i thought it was in seoul in in but it's not i guess it's in busan in black panther when they're going to the uh the gambling club the casino uh, it kind of had that same sort of CD feel, but to me, it really felt, if, you know, any gamers out there totally felt like Night City from Cyberpunk 2077. Uh, and I loved that. I, I love that game. So I, I thought that was awesome. And so they're walking down the street. Uh, Zemo is kind of going over their roles and he ex- explains to Sam, he says, you're going to be uh, well, and I guess before he explains it, Sam is in this really, really slick-looking suit, very colorful, my kind of style. Uh, I, I love wearing colors, and I love that Sam's like, I look like a pimp. And again, Zemo with the lines, he says, only an American would think a fashion-forward black man looks like a pimp. And uh, just a great line, but he is—he tells him that he's playing Conrad Mack, who is the Smiling Tiger. Uh, I haven't looked up anything on this guy. Uh, I don't know if that's an actual comic book character. If it is, it's definitely somebody who hasn't really had much. But that is the beauty of recording a podcast is I can just pause this and uh, go look it up. And I did. And uh, yeah, so I mean, he's a, he's a character in the comics. Conrad Mack, alias uh, Smiling Tiger. Sounds like he does have, uh, you know, basically skilled in hand-to-hand combat. Kind of looks like a gargoyle. Uh, or like a smiling tiger, I guess you could say. Um, nothing crazy. I did say that you know he stole the Quinjet from the Avengers. He stole the Quinjet from the New Warriors, who had stolen it from the Avengers, and crashes it in Madripoor, where he then becomes one of the major players in the underworld of crime. Uh, but beyond that, you know, and it, even here it says his first appearance was in New Warriors nineteen in nineteen ninety two. So he's he's by no means some huge secret. Uh, Easter egg, unless Marvel obviously chooses. The bigger Easter egg is is uh, somebody that we're going to meet, another new character here, um, coming soon. But uh, so they get there, and it uh, you know they get picked up in a car, and they're driven. Uh, there's a bunch of motorcycles that kind of follow them. It's just super seedy, and uh, and I love it. And they get to this bar, and 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 before that too, um, 
Zemo explains to them that uh, there's like a high town and a low town, uh, and they're, it sounds like they're going to low town. Uh, and so they show up at this bar. There's a bit too where he talks about, you know, do you smell that? And they're like, yeah, it smells like acid. And he's like, yeah, that's Madripoor. Uh, so, you know, we're really, they're really laying it on thick how wild and gross this place is, which is awesome. So they get to this bar and uh, the guy at the bar is like looking at Sam and say, you know, oh, I haven't seen you here in a while sort of thing. And he's like, just nods at him. He says, you want the usual? And he goes, like, oh, yeah, of course. And so the guy, like, grabs this rattlesnake and cuts it open and pulls out this little something to put it in a shot. I don't know if that's, like, a rattlesnake egg or uh, the heart of the rattle. I'm not sure. But it it was wild. And Sam's like, "Uh," and uh, it's so funny. Uh, Again, Zima goes, ah, Smiling Tiger, your favorite. And he looks at it and says, I love these. And then uh, takes the shot. Oh, my God, just was so great. And so then, you know, just like in Madripoor, these people, people just start showing up at the table. And and it's like just just another one of the regular bad guys, and he uh, it basically says like, oh, you know, the power broker doesn't like that you're here, sort of thing, won't come, and he says, you know, oh, you you know, either he can come and tell me himself, or he can tell the Winter Soldier here, and uh, or you can just you know have Selby talk to me, basically, the the person they're looking for, Selby, and uh, this this low level fence, basically, and so the guy like the guy leaves. And he explains, you know, the power broker is, he says, every kingdom has its king. He doesn't know who the power broker is, only by reputation. Says he's judge, jury, and executioner around here. Again, that, you know, the way this all sounds, it sounds like uh, Zemo definitely didn't uh, get snapped away. He did not uh, disintegrate. And I also think Sharon didn't disintegrate either the way that she makes everything sound. But is five years enough time for Sharon Carter from the United States to uh, go to... Well, and you know what? There's there's a hint there, too, and we're getting so close to it, but uh, Nagel says that uh, he got recruited by the CIA, so, you know, and, and Sharon was there, too. But, so, uh, at that point, another person comes up to try and attack Zemo, and he tells Winter Soldier to get him. Winter Soldier absolutely wrecks shop inside of this bar. And I loved it, but at the same time, I hated it because there were people in there filming. And I know that they said that there's like no extradition in Madripoor. It's a lawless haven, basically. But I really hope that that doesn't come back to bite Bucky after everything that he has done to try and make himself better. So at that point, you know, after he beats up a couple people, two other people come out and they're like, okay. Selby's ready to meet you, basically, and so they get in there. Uh, it's this lady again. I, you know, I'm not super familiar with this person either. Could be, uh, and I didn't look this one up either. But um, she, you know, he offers a trade to her. He says, "If you, I will give you the Winter Soldier for info on the Super Soldier Serum." And he's like, he says, uh, you know, oh, and I'll give you all of the code words to use to activate him. It's like, and at that point, I'm like, oh, you know, they're actually going to give Bucky to her. Like, that's not going to end well for her. But uh, at this point, he says that uh, the person, he she provides a name and she says, Wilfred Nagel, who uh, I didn't think much of immediately. The name didn't jump out to me, but when I was looking it up, uh, he is actually it will in the comics. Wilfred Nagel goes by Joseph Reinstein, who if if that rings a bell at all, that is because Erksine also went by Joseph Reinstein. That is the code name that both of them used 
uh, Reinstein or Nagel is the scientist who worked on Project Rebirth to create Captain America. Following Erkstein's death, he was tasked with recreating the super soldier serum for the army, and he recruited the 300 African-American soldiers they used as test subjects. So he was introduced, his first appearance is in Truth, Red, White, and Black, which again, uh, we've got an episode on that. I believe this episode, it's something like one, uh, one, not 170, I might just be 70, something like that. But um, it's Truth, Red, White, and Black. And that's him. So awesome. I thought, okay, that's great. Uh, I don't think he is that exact same character in this show, but it was still a nice Easter egg to see that because he's, you know, just the terrible scientist sort of thing. So as they're doing that, you know, he says, how can we, he says, how can we uh, find him? And she starts talking about how the power broker had this guy working on the serum, but then things didn't go as planned. And he's like, please, like, just tell me where he is. And she says, the breadcrumbs you get for free, but the bakery will cost you. But of course, Sarah calls Sam right at this minute. And I, I've i made no secret of this in uh, other podcast episodes, but there are specific things in movies and shows that drive me up the wall, uh, the kind of stuff that uh, other people maybe don't even think about. Uh, maybe they do, and if so, awesome. I'm really glad that I'm not alone. But this is the sort of nails on a chalkboard sort of thing of like, are you freaking kidding me, Sarah, that right now is the time that you have to call Sam just to tell him that, like, you know, I don't know what's going on, basically, or, or you know, uh, just made me so mad. Why? Obviously, Sam had it on vibrate, so it's not that big a deal. Sam should have had it on silent, part one. Part two, he should have had his hand on the phone already and just immediately silenced it. Part four, uh, when he answered the phone, I mean, fine, he did his best to say like, oh, you know, what exactly is it that you're referring to? And she's like, come on. And it was like, just freaking hang up the phone, Sam. And uh, But she starts talking about the bank and he's like, oh yeah, I've laundered so much money. And uh, he goes, I'm gonna, yeah, I'm big time now. I'm gonna have that banker killed. Uh, and, but then she says, you know, we hear the kids in the background and she mentions Cheerios and says Sam's name and she's, and, uh, uh, Selby says, who's Sam? And then immediately as she should says, kill them. And, uh, so they start, but right before they start shooting, a bullet flies through the window and hits Selby, kills her. And then they beat up all the other people and escape. We have no idea who killed her. But uh, now we get this John Wick bounty hunter type scene where everyone's getting the text message that, you know, she's dead. Thousand, it's like a thousand Madripoor dollars or whatever, the, you know, their money system is to find them. And so they're on the run now. They're running through the streets and a couple of people are chasing them. And uh, all of a sudden, t- gunshots come from another window and it's Sharon. I mean, you see her up top. You're like, oh my God, it's Sharon. And uh, so she comes down, she saves them. And she's like, oh, basically trying to take out Zemo. And, uh, but then, you know, they try to stop her. They're like, whoa, 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 like I, you know, Zemo's with us basically. What are you doing here? And she says she's been in Madripoor since being on the run. So basically since Civil War, sounds like that she, she's been there. And she delivers one of my favorite lines of the entire series, uh, entire series, sure. But, you know, definitely of this entire episode, uh, she's like, you know, do you not remember that I, you know, I stole that shield and that got me in trouble. And she looks at Sam. I also took the wings for your ass to save his ass from his ass, uh, pointing at Bucky and then at Zemo. I just died laughing. I thought that was fantastic. 
And Sam's like, I was on the run too. And she says, was, is, big difference. Like, I'm still on the run, Sam. You're not. Uh, but it's so again, it sounds like she definitely did not get snapped, which I guess is good for her that she didn't have to deal with that. I mean, I, I don't think there's a good for her situation with the snap, because if you had to leave for five years, that would suck. And if you also had to deal with the, uh, you know, the consequences of being alone for five years without the people you love, that's also pretty terrible. But um, so she says, fine, like, fine, I'm going to take you to, high I have a place in Hightown. So, ooh, interesting, okay. Um, she's curating rare art and making quite the life for herself. She talks about, you know, this is her hustle, and Sam's like, yeah, yeah, no, this is a fake hustle, like, these are fake prints, and Bucky's like, no, they're real, trust me. And he's like, oh, he says, ah, I get it, you guys think you're more worldly than old Sam. And he looks it up and he's like, oh, okay, all right, this is real stuff. And so then they get them out of those outfits and she gets them into these other outfits in preparation for a party. And it was at this moment that I, I realized I love the outfits in this show. Uh, and especially in this episode, like especially in Madripoor, it just feels like everyone's got this exotic vibe i mean they do say that it's like an island off of indonesia i think but just i i loved it you know hats off to the production design for that and the, the costume design so they talk she talks about you know madripoor doesn't allow extradition that's why she's staying here and she starts talking about how stupid the whole shield thing is in captain america and she says the way that you gave up the shield deep down you know it's all hypocrisy and she says a couple of other things which makes bucky say oh you know she's kind of awful now and he, he, he tries to convince her, Sam does, to help her. And he's like, I can get your name cleared. And she's like, what? I don't believe you, basically. He says, fine. Then she says, I don't want to take charity. And he says, fine. Then how about a deal? You help us, and I will get your name cleared. And it's like, okay, fine. And so she says, let me see what I can do. Uh, they're at this party, and she, she ends up getting a name. And they're now at a shipping dock or something where there's a bunch of shipping crates. And she points out that he's in this crate. They get inside, there's nothing in the crate, but they find, you know, obviously the end piece of the crate opens up to a whole basement laboratory, and sure enough, Nagel's, Nagel's down there, and they they slam him up on a thing, they're like, oh, you gotta talk, I like Nagel, I thought he was very uh, creepy, he talked really creepy, uh, definitely seemed like the kind of guy that thought that he knew everything that was going on, and clearly didn't, uh, but at the same time, while they're talking, Sharon is outside, and there are now bounty hunters coming to get them, so she is having to fight these people, and this was my favorite part of the episode, hands down, uh, getting to see her kick so much ass was amazing. And not just that, literally, I'm getting to watch it in real time as in my head I go, how violent are they going to let her go? And there was a bit where this guy grabs on, tries to stab her with a knife, and she's tackled him to the ground and got her hand onto the knife. And in my head, I said, you need to stab that guy. Like, you've got to stab that guy or he's going to get you. But, you know, again, it's a Disney show. Are they going to show that? But, yup, they did. She just grabs that knife and stabs his back leg and then throws the knife into another person's arm and the violence just gets even crazier from there. Just awesome. I loved it. We're finally getting to see Sharon kick a ton of butt. And, uh, I, I honestly, my favorite parts are when she was stabbing people. There are a couple of other stabs that she did. There's some gunshots that she did. Oh, just not shy at all about killing these people. She is not afraid. And so we get back inside the bunker laboratory and Nagel explains that he was brought in to pick up the work of Hydra after Siberia, uh, when the super soldier serums, uh, you know, the, the super soldiers died. 
And he says, after Hydra fell, he was recruited by the CIA. They had blood samples of um, of Isaiah. You know, we know it. Sam and Bucky know it. They look at each other. But he doesn't say Isaiah. I think he just says an American test subject. But he says, after some hard work, he was able to isolate the compound. Uh, and he was a god. He said, like, him being able to do that. And I, I don't doubt it. I mean, that's a pretty powerful, you know, pretty crazy thing to be able to do as a scientist uh but obviously you know he is not a good scientist so he says there's no other scientist since Erkstein uh who could do this but he decided that he would be different so that's kind of just like from the comics he says no jacked up bodies uh, he says like no metal or something i mean he's i think he's assuming the the thing that they had to put steve in the, the machine it's all by shots now but he says it's subtle and optimized he says before he was able to complete the work though he turned to dust and when he returned the program had been abandoned and the power broker was more than happy to fund the creation very interesting uh getting to see these hints of what the world was like that the cia is having this guy build super soldier serum basically for the government and the minute that the snap happens they stop so I just I really hope we get some more about that of like what the government and the world was like in those five years. Obviously, we got a tiny, tiny fraction of actually we didn't we didn't because, uh, you know, in Avengers Endgame, we got to see some of it, but it was at the tail end of that five years. We did not get to see what happens in those five years. And so like what did they just decide, you know what, we're actually going to be good people now. We're not going to work on this anymore. I have no idea. But um, he says he made 20 vials. So Bucky earlier in the episode that you, we saw it in the last episode too, that there were eight super soldiers. So there are 12, right? Yes. 12 unaccounted vials, but he says Carly stole them. He also says that Carly called her a few days ago asking about a person named Madani, who is the lady that died with Carly back in the, the last scene says she had tuberculosis typical of overpopulated uh, centers like that where she's living which sounds really sad again like the GRC is not trying to help with that uh, surprise surprise and we then get a flash you know back to outside Sharon is an I wrote down Sharon is an animal she is just destroying these people and so she comes back inside and Zemo kills uh, kills this guy Nagel right as she comes in but then literally two seconds later, someone shoots a rocket at the place and blows it up. And so Zemo apparently escapes. The rest of them do get out, but we then see that Zemo was not trying to escape. He just was trying to get the high ground. And so he puts his mask on and jumps down and just destroys these people. Oh, he does so good. And now they're all fighting. Uh, uh, Sharon, uh, well, I guess Zemo, after they've beaten them, Zemo finds a car for them to drive in. I lo- There's a great scene there too where Bucky throws a pole into somebody's arm. I loved that. But <clears throat> Sharon doesn't join them. She just says, you know, fulfill your promise, like get me pardoned. But then she leaves in the back seat of another vehicle. So we're getting close to the end of the episode. We're going to finish this this recap and then I'm going to just see if maybe I can make any more sense of this. But Next scene, we are now at a GRC supply depot where Carly and Dovich are talking, and we are getting to see the good in them. They want to help all of these people that were forgotten, and now we're starting to see what that means. We're starting to see what forgotten means. You have a company or a government entity, the GRC, 
who is talking about we want to help you rebuild, restore. Yet there are these, you know, re uh, what are they called? The the like, it's it's a resettlement camp, and they have these resettlement camps where people are getting tuberculosis. They're dying. Uh, and it's crazy. She's like sitting there talking. They're looking at the supply depot and they just want, they're just, she's talking about, they just want to help. She talks about how she used to, you know, want to be a teacher, but she says the GRC is clearly just like, or, and I guess maybe I thought this too. It's just like all their government things where, you know, they say they're trying to help. They're not really doing it, but we're in this scene. We're seeing what's driving them. And after you watch this scene, at least for me, I was like, ah, there we go. They're the good guys. We know now that it's probably John Walker and the GRC who are the bad guys. And so obviously that changes as we get a little further on. But now we see Walker and Battlestar at the prison trying to figure out what's going on. And, and one of the people there does confirm that Zemo escaped the same day that Bucky and Sam were there, which is really interesting. And he's, you know, coming to his own conclusions. They walk away. Lamar says, uh, you know, you don't think that it was them, do you? And he just says... You know, I think I think we're going to have to really run with this on our own. And he says, we're going to go off the books, Cap. And I liked that question of calling him Cap, talking about being off the books. Not just because it's a great line, but I mean, Cap went off the books sometimes as well. So it just, I guess, was a kind of good call out. But he says, if we get the job done, do you really think they're going to sweat us on the how? And uh, true, I, you know, for the most probably true. So then we're back on the plane. Sam, Bucky, and Zemo are flying. They don't know where yet. They're waiting. Sam is talking to Torres on the phone, talking about Madani, saying like, if you know, you can find anything that would be great. And uh, and then he kind of just sits there, and Bucky's like, you know, uh, what's wrong? And he says he's just thinking about Sharon and what you know everything that she went through. And it was an interesting line because I, I do appreciate that Sam is thinking about her. But how funny would it be if she's the power broker, like you know? And he's giving all of this energy to her in that way. But at the same time, he also says, "I can't be, like he refer he says referring to the American test subject like Isaiah is not a real person." So we've now seen that in all three episodes of just this idea that. Uh, you know, America, especially in, in those moments, treated a lot of the citizens in America, specifically people of color, like they weren't real people. And we're, we're getting reminded of that in every episode. And he says, how many people got steamrolled for this hunk of metal, referring to Captain America's shield? And he says, I made a mistake. And I'm thinking, wow, episode three, and he's already admitting this, but he says, maybe I shouldn't have put it in a museum. I should have destroyed it. And Bucky kind of takes uh, takes issue with that. And he tells Sam, he says, well, we, he says, we need a new camp. And it ain't going to be, it's not going to be Walker. He says, I'm going to take the shield myself. And I, I, I don't know what we're supposed to make of that. I did find it really interesting, though, because obviously in the comics, Bucky becomes Captain America for a while before Sam becomes Captain America. And there's this whole bit there. There's a whole issue, a one-shot called who will, we, who will Wield the Shield? And it was all about Bucky and uh, was it about? It might have been with Sam, too. Uh, but that was before they ever, you know, Marvel was considering Sam to be Captain America. But... Uh, just interesting. I, I I thought about it before the show came out of if they would actually have Bucky be Captain America too, not permanently, certainly, but 
to at least have a scene or two where he's in a costume and throwing the shield around. I thought that would be great because at least then we would get to see Bucky finally fulfill this idea in his head that he is a good person, that he he could be Captain America. And uh, I still hope that for him. I don't, I'm not holding out, you know, all hope for it. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't do it at all. But uh, I just thought that was really interesting for him. But then he gets a phone call. Sam gets a phone call, confirms uh, Madani is dead, uh, was in a place called Riga, Latvia. And so uh, Zemo says, yeah, like I know a place we can go there. So they fly there. And the next scene is the Flag Smashers are taking a bunch of supplies from that depot while the soldiers are now all tied up and crazy too she says to them you guys had six months worth of supplies just sitting here we are fighting for our lives and again i'm just like wow this grc is terrible but she uh then blows up the building and he says she explains to dovich in the car that's the only language they understand and now we know okay so they they aren't good guys they have good intentions, but the way that they are going about it is not right, and we can clearly see that. But this is where my second nitpick comes in. She gets in the car, and she tells him to buckle up, which, and maybe that's just because I always have been the kind of guy, but just because my car tells me to, and because it's important, I always tell people, buckle up. And people do it. Even people who, I, I don't think I've met anyone who actually doesn't like to buckle up, but she tells him to buckle up. He doesn't buckle up. He asks some sort of question, and she says, you need to buckle up. And then the building blows up, and he's like, oh, my God. And then, you know, sits there for a minute, and she explains it to him, and then they sort of drive off. And that just peeved me. And, you know, again, nothing negative towards the show itself. Just one of those weird uh, neuroses things of me was like, if I was in his shoes and somebody – first off, he's the driver. I get in my car. I immediately buckle up. And if someone were else were to tell me to buckle up, it literally takes half a second to buckle up. You just grab the buckle and, and buckle it in. And he couldn't even do that. So, you know, maybe the super soldier serum is only good for a few things. Maybe it, it dulls your intelligence a little bit. But I, I don't know why that scene stuck with me. But I was just, like I said, I was just like, oh, my God. Like, you can't put a seatbelt on. But uh, that's that scene. So now we see, like I said, that they're not really that good. We finally get the uh, the last and final scene, which is them showing up in Latvia. And uh, Zemo says, you know, I heard what became of Sikovia, cannibalized by its neighbors before being cleared of rubble, erased from the map. The city uh, was, was basically wiped. He says, I don't suppose either of you bothered to visit the memorial. Of course not. Why would you? And then Bucky says he's going to go on a walk and sam and zemo walk into this building and i liked that a lot i at that point i was like okay what why is he going on a walk but i was like ooh, sam and zemo together if they build off of that in the next episode that's exciting that's really cool and uh so bucky starts walking and he picks up a kamoyo bead and i was like that's a kamoyo bead right that has that has to be and then he grabs another one i was like yeah 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 that has to be who is he gonna meet obviously my first thought was black panther but there's no way guys there's no way black panther's coming on the show but we got something pretty damn close in my opinion we get ayo she's here she's in latvia and she says i'm here for zemo which makes so much sense because at the very beginning when they kind of were were breaking him out he's like you know do you not realize that zemo is a bad guy right like he killed king t'chaka you think wakanda forgot about that they haven't spoiler alert they haven't so 
pretty awesome as well that you know within the span of what i'm assuming is maybe a couple of days the wakandans found out that zemo had escaped obviously you know i'm sure it was on the news that there was a prison break and all that stuff but i just thought that's right in line with wakanda that they would be right there and ready to go and i love that it's ao because she uh i'm I'm glad that she's been in uh, obviously she was in civil war she was in black i think she was in black panther uh but she wasn't in um in the other two movies i i don't think she was in infinity war she definitely wasn't in endgame but so there's uh, some part of it was like, okay, well, where is she? Like, did she get snapped away? Did she disappear? We don't know. And maybe we'll find out. But here she is in all of her glory. She has some really good stories in the comics, especially from Coates's run. Uh, so if you guys get a chance, I would highly recommend it. I think you can even do probably just the first 12 issues of his run because she joins and kind of starts this group with uh, another lady. I don't remember her name. It's like a Akina or something like that. Uh, called the fallen angels uh it's it's definitely some type of angels where they're they're almost like a a break-off sect of the dormilaje and it's a great storyline really cool they both fall in love it's an like just so good really great writing uh so hopefully maybe they dive into her story a little bit i would not mind some backstory for ao uh just because you know she's always was capturing our attention from uh from civil war and black panther but what a great ending. Uh, I, I love it. I mean, both of these shows have done such a good job, this and WandaVision, of pulling in the unexpected. I certainly was not expecting anything Wakanda-related in this episode or even in the show. So who knows how that's going to you know factor into this, but I can only imagine that Sam or Bucky is going to try to put on his white wolf hat to try and talk this out with Ao. Uh, to explain what's going on, to try and fix all of this. And honestly, guys, who knows? We may get something. We may get something about the state of Wakanda right now. This, I mean, for all intents and purposes, this is the most recent update on Wakanda that we have, is that Ao is alive. If you remember, the only thing we know is that, uh, uh, I was going to say Chadwick Boseman, but uh, T'Challa, Shuri, and Ramonda are alive in Wakanda and celebrating with the rest of the uh, the rest of the whole you know society of uh, you know being snapped back into existence. That is the last thing that we know about Wakanda. So we don't know anything more now than than that Ao's alive, and we have to figure out what's going to happen with T'Challa. So maybe they will tell us something. There'll be a hint dropped about him possibly passing away or something. I don't know. I'm I, again. Don't hold your breath on that because I know that would be the quickest way to get disappointed would be to look forward to seeing seeing or even hearing anything about Black Panther in this show. So if we get it, we need to just take it as a blessing just like Madripoor. But um, again, you know, just a couple call outs. Like I said, I loved the writing in this episode. I thought the music in this episode was awesome. So funny how even in just a TV show, the songs in here were a million times better than all of the songs that were in Justice League, Snyder Cut, Justice League combined. Just wild. Uh, but yeah, so again, we'll end this on just my final thoughts on this whole Sharon Carter power broker thing. It's, I don't know who else it would be. I don't think it would be Zemo because I, I just don't see him as being that type of person, especially if he didn't know who the power broker was. But I don't know. I mean, I I certainly don't mind it. If they make Sharon Carter to be the power broker, 
I'm here for it. That's awesome. We're gonna. She's now has a cool title. Maybe she's using her influence and power for good. Uh, you know, maybe she was trying to get those uh, the super soldier serum to just destroy it. Like, hey, make me all of what you can make. Give it to me, and then I'm just gonna destroy it so that there's no more super soldier serum. I could totally see that. And if they choose to do that, that's awesome. That'd be such a great role for her. That she's kind of the. I'm trying to think of what that is. It's, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, 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 uh, like Will Turner in Pirates of the Caribbean, where he becomes the the ship captain of the Damned, basically. Uh, but he's a good guy, and so he's kind of steering them in the right direction, sort of thing. Like I, I, I love that idea of a good person being the leader of kind. Of, almost like the Thunderbolts. Ooh, maybe there's a Thunderbolts connection there too. Uh, but that's, that is as far as I want to speculate on that. Like I said, I love talking about it and, uh, it's fun to do, but I also, uh, I don't, I don't want to, you know, say something that's going to be totally wrong. Uh, but that's you know, that's part of the fun of it. So, like I said, this was my favorite episode of the three so far. Every episode I've liked better than the prior episode, uh, which is saying a lot because this show, I mean, I will say this, three episodes in on this show, I like it better than WandaVision. Now, uh, I only say that because the first three episodes of WandaVision, two are in black and white, and uh, they're only 20 minutes long. Again, not a knock at WandaVision, but if I am having to choose between watching 20 minutes of black and white Marvel versus almost 45 minutes of colored Marvel, I'm going to pick color every day of the week. Uh, but you know, jury is still out on, on comparisons between the two. I do not want to say one way or the other. Uh, I, you know, I kind of did, but, uh, until the whole show is done. So obviously we will talk about that in the last episode. Uh, but for right now, we're in a great spot. It's Friday guys. Uh, I hope all of you have a, have a great weekend and enjoy this episode as much as I did. So for comics and cinema, I'm your host, Alex Klein. Thanks so much for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.